That is all of us. All of us at some point are meant to grow up. In Hebrews, it talks about being immature and and just drinking this kind of spiritual milk. And he says you need to grow up into maturity and eat solid food. That's the call of every Christian. And then according to what Jesus said in Matthew 28, is every Christian is called to go and do what? Make disciples. How can you make a disciple if you're not teaching? You can't. Is all of us are called in one way or another to teach. Some of us are called to do that in front of a greater group of people. Some of us are called to do that more one-on-one with our children, whatever it might be. But all of us will teach at some point. And what God is saying to us is if you're, if you're a parent, is that the judgment of God is going to come upon you first and then to your household and your family. Specifically fathers first. And if you want proof for that, I'm not going to get into that this morning, but you can look on the website uh, a couple of chapters back where we looked at the role of uh, husbands and wives in 1 Peter. But the, the simple premise is this, is that God has called men to be faithful, to teach their children the law of God. That is our role. And if we do not do that, we will be judged far more harshly because that is what our very role is meant to be. And so recognize that when Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, he is talking in direct context to, here's the reality of it, this will fall upon you first, and then it will move out from there. So recognize the, maybe severity is not the right word, but the importance of the role of the elder in the church. When you read through the New Testament, and you read the various letters that are written to the churches, or even the, uh, the references to the various churches in the New Testament, you will find without exclusion that God's plan through this was that there would be a plurality of elders leading every local church. You will not find a church in the New Testament where that is not written to. You see that in Titus, in, in 1 Timothy, in James 5, in Hebrews 13, in Acts chapter 20, and various times in Paul's writings uh, through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, all those things, is you see the reference to the church and to those who have been called to lead that church. Is This is God's design. And so we can claim that this shouldn't be the way it is all we want, but Scripture is going to argue with us. And now I'm going to read a whole bunch of different passages to kind of show us this this morning. But before we deal with that, let me ask this question. Is what is an elder? Somebody who's over 65. No, I don't, right? That term in English is very fuzzy. It can be interpreted so many different ways. And even in the New Testament, we read it as there's several different places where it talks about elder, overseer, bishop. There's various words that are used. All come from the same Greek root word. But this is... I'm just going to read my definition here for you. I'm getting excited ahead of myself. An elder is someone who is called by God to help the local church in the leadership and the maturing of its people to become more like Christ. That's a simple definition. That's as, that's as clear as I could make it while I was trying to do that. So let me read this again. An elder is someone who is called by God to help the local church in the leadership and the maturity of its people to become more like Christ. The goal of someone who becomes an elder in a church is not, and, and we're going to deal with this in First Peter very directly in just a few moments, but is not to stand up in front and to exercise power and control over its membership. Not the point. 
Much like when we looked back uh, at wives and husbands and how wa- uh, husbands are called to sacrificially love their wives, there's no domineering in that. There's no you exist to serve me in that. There's I love you to the very end and I will sacrifice my life if I have to because you were the most precious thing on the earth to me. Elders are called, and we're going to see that. Elders are called to help in any way possible to aid in the spiritual development and Christ-likeness of somebody within their congregation. That's our role. The pastor... Uh, the pastor-teacher, which you, you see in several passages that we're going to read this morning, uh, the role of the pastor-teacher is simply to be the one who, who does the proclamation of that. Is My role is I, I just simply get to be paid to be an elder. And I'm very grateful uh, for that opportunity, but I also take that, as James reminded me, incredibly seriously because this is not, this is not a small task. This is a task that has eternal consequences. And so I recognize that. And so the elders are called to do that. There's two parts to that definition, though, that, that I want to highlight. Is first is someone who is called by God. And we're going to read about this in Timothy and Titus in just a few moments. Uh, but it's called by God. This is not something that somebody goes into without a calling from God. This is not something, and, and let me just say it this way. The role of an elder is not a glamorous thing. It's not. It's hard. There's hours of praying. There's hours on your knees pleading with God that somebody that, you're, that is in your congregation, that you want them to understand who Christ is and you want them to mature more in their faith. And there's phone calls where people are angry with you. There's moments where we have to discipline people because they are not living the way that they have claimed to. And there can be fights and it gets all kinds of ugly. The role of an elder is not a fun job. Who wants to sign up? This is I say that a little bit facetiously because I love, I have loved every church I've been a part of being on the elders team. The camaraderie that exists, the, the desire for purpose and meaning to proclaim Christ and to make him known, there's, there's nothing greater. There's nothing better. But it is incredibly hard. And so we are to be called by God for that. And secondly, then is the goal of maturity and Christ-likeness to everybody. Now, let me just clarify a few things. That does not mean that I have everything figured out, and so I'm putting you kind of behind me so that you can follow and I can show you what it means to be perfect, because goodness knows that won't take you very long to figure out I'm not. No one is. But we are called, those of us who are called to be elders, to live a life that exemplifies Christ, and I think in some ways, in our imperfection, shows and brings the grace of God to a new meaning where we can say, yes, this was wrong. Yes, I did this. I said that. Uh, despite what intentions I may have had, this was wrong, and I need to repent of that. And if we can do that publicly, if we can do that with people and say, no, 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 I was wrong, our life will become more vulnerable, will become more real, and I think people will then follow the example of that. And that's true in all of our lives. When we're kids, if our parents tell us, well, you're not allowed to do that, but then they go and do it, and then they don't tell us why or why not or explain some of that or talk about maturity, it's very confusing. But when we have parents who say, and I remember I grew up in a, in a, in a Mennonite community where uh, communion was something that it was a very big deal. 
And as a child, we didn't partake in that because uh, my parents were advised by some people to wait until we kind of got to a certain age to really understand it. And I remember my parents sitting us down one day after church and repenting of that and apologizing because they said what they did, they didn't believe was right. Those are the things I remember, where my parents were vulnerable, authentic, and then showed me what it meant to be real. And so regardless of whether this is elder or anybody, is the way in which we do this matters. So, now, if the role of the elder, if the role of the elder is to help the church become more like Christ, then what is the role of the church? The proclamation that Jesus Christ is the only thing worth worship. The only thing worthy of worship. In Ephesians Chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says it this way. He says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So let me just say that first part again because it's just so beautiful. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Is The church's job is to show the world who Jesus Christ is so that the world sees that and goes, I need that. There is nothing else that compares. There is nothing else like Jesus Christ. I need that. That is the role of the church. And so when when Christ says uh, to his disciples, therefore go into all the world and make disciples, he's not talking to 12 men to say, you guys go and do this. He's talking to every single one of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Every one of us are called to make disciples. And so the only way in which we can do that is if we, I shouldn't say the only way, God can, God can do some crazy things through people who have very little to no biblical knowledge. I've seen it happen. But as a rule, as we mature in Christ and as we proclaim Christ and as we grow in our own faith, others can see that and can respond to that. So let's just flip, uh, you can flip just a few pages back uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And here in this section, is, it, Paul's writing this letter uh, to Timothy, and he's calling him to do a couple of things. And then we're going to l- flip uh, in just a minute, just a couple of pages later, to Titus, where Paul says kind of something very similar to Titus. So here's the first seven verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says this, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now you notice that very first verse, there's something interesting, and it almost sounds like it contradicts something that I said earlier, so I want to clarify this. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, sounds like, okay, now, now it is something that people want and not necessarily a calling of God. Titus is going to show us that actually we are called, uh, in Acts 28, pardon me, Acts 20, verse 28, says it this way, um, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock 
he's speaking to the elders here, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. Is there's two parts to this calling is, is we have free will and we can disobey or we can obey God. And so if we're called to something by God, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily what we end up doing. It means that that's what God's asking us to be obedient to. We still get a, the right to choose. And sometimes that, sometimes that can be difficult because we can make the right choice and yet it can seem like things fall apart all around us. And that's really what First Peter's all about is Peter's reminding them, you are going to suffer for the name of Christ. Even though you are doing what is right and what is just, you are going to go through pain and hardship and persecution and it's not fair and it's, 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 we can't make any sense of it, but that's just the reality of it. And so the same way in our own obedience is sometimes we, we like to make it more simple. We go, if I obey, then good consequences will always happen. And that's just simply not true. Sometimes through our obedience, very difficult things happen. And sometimes by our running, we think we might be able to get away from those bad consequences, but there's always other consequences that come. Jonah is the perfect example of that. I don't want to go where God's calling me to, so I'm going to turn and I'm going to run the other way. And for a little while, it seems like maybe I've done it. And then all of a sudden, God goes, no, I'm, 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 going, to, I'm going to make this work one way or another. And so he had to get a whale involved. And God will do whatever he has to to get a hold of us. And so in, in my experience, let's just obey Christ. Works a lot better the first time. Doesn't make it necessarily a lot easier or a lot less painful. But maybe in the long term, we'll have learned things a lot easier. And so he says, if anyone aspires to the office of elder, this means that God has put a calling upon your life and you go, yes, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to live. I, I want to pursue this. And so then the qualifications are given. Uh, let's flip to Titus chapter 3, which is just after 2 Timothy, so just a few pages ahead. And there's another explanation of this. Pardon me, Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Paul says this to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. An overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So you read here that Paul's telling Titus, he's saying, so all the churches that are there, go into those local churches and appoint elders from within. This is, this is God's design and God's role for the church. Like I said, you will not find a New Testament church that differs from this model. What is an elder to be? He says it twice in there before getting into specifics. It's someone who's above reproach. What does it mean to be above reproach? That can be kind of a difficult thing to define. But I think very simply, all it means is that, no, that that person should live such a life that people cannot come with a crazy accusation against them where people go, yeah, I could believe that. He kind of would live that way or would do that. Rather, it needs to be that they live such an upright life that when somebody says, well, have you heard about this or say this or whatever, that they go, well, that doesn't sound like them. 
It's not about perfection. Again, uh, and this is, we need to understand this, and, and if you're a man here this morning that, that maybe you feel like God has been after you about this, this idea of eldership, is don't get hung up in looking at this list and go, man, that's, that's too exhaustive. Uh, I'm not perfect. I can't do it. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about maturity. We're talking about a realization that God is involved in every aspect of our life and we are to proclaim him in every way possible. But again, we will make mistakes. We will fall. We will screw up. That's just reality of life. How we respond to those things is important. So when you read something like, uh, your children shouldn't be wild and open to debauchery, that doesn't mean if your child is struggling in their faith or acting out at school that you're immediately disqualified. It means how do you respond to those situations? Are you actively involved in the home, trying and pleading with God for wisdom with how to deal with that? Or are you just going, ah, who cares? It's not worth the effort. That's what it's talking about. When it says not to be quick-tempered, that doesn't mean if you've lost your cool last week or maybe this morning on your way to church because your kids aren't getting ready or whatever it might be, that doesn't mean you're immediately disqualified. What it means is if you are prone to anger and you don't repent of that anger and you don't deal with that anger, then you aren't mature enough to understand what this is calling you to do. But notice a couple other things here. And I'm not going to say that this is the only way to do it. I think there's a lot of merit to this. I think it's biblical. Uh, I've heard other versions of how this happens, and I, and I, I see the wisdom in that as well. But our church, which is part of the Associated Gospel Churches of Canada, this is how we appoint elders. We look at this text and we see it. Paul's called Timothy to appoint elders in every town as directed. And so how we do it in the AGC uh, is the current elders team, so currently that's just Lee and myself. What our role is, is we are seeking out for spiritual men who desire what we've seen here, who are qualified based on what we've seen here. We will go, and if we find someone like that, we'll sit down with them. We'll ask them some very difficult, very direct questions. Again, not about perfection, but about showing, is this someone who is serious about their relationship with God and their desire for maturity? If that person kind of meets the criteria that the scriptures have laid out for us in these two texts and several others as well, is then we will ask them, do you feel that God is calling you to this role? And if that person feels a calling from God, and of course there'll be time of prayer, uh, there'll be time for them to consider these things, but if they were to come back to us and say, yes, this is what we want, we would then as the elders team come before the congregation and say, we, we would like to appoint this person to the role of elder in the church, and then the congregation would vote on that. The reason that we do it that way is because if we read through Scripture, it seems to be clear that those who are the mature, those who plant churches, handpick people in there that they see to be spiritual and see to be mature, and then they appoint them to be elders to the leading of. However, because we roll in a congregational model, that means everyone has a say. If you're a member of this church, you have a say. And so if you know something that we do not about something, we want you to come forward and explain those things and to share those things. But we see it, the role of the elder to appoint the elder. And so that's why it works that way in our association. That's why we do it the way that we do it. And again, maybe some of this is just like a teaching class on eldership, and maybe you just feel like, okay, I get it, that's simple, that's fine. I'm just trying to show you that everything that we do, we do because we find it in Scripture. 
Not because we just think it's a smart way to do things. So, this is kind of how we appoint, how we get to the place of and what an elder is meant to look like. So now let's go back to 1 Peter 5, and let's just go through these couple of commands that are given to us. So I'm going to read these five verses again in that context. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So now notice, three commands given to the elders, or, or warnings. First is to shepherd the church willingly. So this, this imagery of shepherd is kind of all found uh, through Scripture, but specifically when it's talking about pastors and elders, is this idea of you are called to care for those who are in your flock. And you read through in kind of the Old Testament about what that looked like and the care uh, and the reality of the danger that faced the shepherd uh, and faced the sheep and what the shepherd's role was to do. And you read about David and David's being told, you know, basically you're not, you're not, you can't be king. You're, you're not strong enough. You're not big enough, whatever. All these different things. And he starts to explain that as a shepherd that he's had to fight off the bear and he's had to fight off the lion. And I'm just going out on a limb that he didn't have a bunch of rifles to do that with. He had a shepherd's hook. I mean, how many have lived in Banff and run into a bear before? You ever like, just like been like, yeah, I got a stick? No problem. It's like, maybe a little one, as long as mom's not around. It takes an immense amount of sacrifice and dedication because you could easily look at that and go, oh, that's just one sheep. It's just one sheep, right? And scripture teaches us this way in a story. It says there's, there's a hundred sheep and one is lost. The shepherd, and the way it's worded in the New Testament, beautiful, is, is worded. Would he not leave the 99 to go find the one? It's like this rhetorical question of, of course he's going to. Of course he's going to. And, and, and that parable given is this idea that God the Father is after. He is going to hunt us down. That's a, maybe a rude way to say it. But he's going to relentlessly chase us because he loves us desperately. That's the role of the shepherd here that is given to shepherd the church willingly. So in other words, not out of a sense of compulsion. And here's the deal. is If you do not love your people, if you don't love your sheep, you are going to shepherd them out of compulsion. Because you're going to be like, why are they being so ridiculous? Why do they say that? Why do they do that? Why do I have to deal with this? And I have been guilty of this in the past where I've had people that seemed like they just exist to push my buttons. And then I realized, no, God's actually put me in their care to help them to mature, and I cannot help them to mature if I don't show them that I love them. It doesn't work. When you're a parent, the most meaningful thing that will speak truth into the lives of your children is if they know that you love them. It's the number one thing, and God is our Father. 
loves us unconditionally. And so shepherds are called, or excuse me, elders are called to shepherd their church willingly. In other words, love your people. And if you're struggling with loving your people, then you need to go repent of that to God and you need to say, God, would you just give me a love for this person that I simply can't stand? Because we all have relationships like that. We all have that person that pushes our buttons and it can be very easy to start seeing that person as the issue rather than as a child loved by God. That's the first command. Second command, to work eagerly and not out of greed or for shameful gain. Like I said earlier, is it's not a glorious role to be an elder. So if you want to be an elder so that you can kind of have your name on the bulletin, then recognize there's a lot of hardships that are going to come with that. There's not a lot of just glory. You're not just going to be like, ah, oh, I'm an elder. I suddenly have, uh, I'm suddenly now above reproach and nobody can question me and nobody can, that's not the way it works. Everyone's human. When we do stupid things, other people are going to come and they get to call us on that. That's the role of accountability within the church. If I say something or teach something wrong, then my expectation is that people come to me and say, hold on, what about this? I'm not someone who's up here going, I've got it all figured out. I studied harder this week, so you can't speak to me. All that does is promote arrogance. It promotes this lack of accountability, and that's not what's happening here. Not for greed and not for shameful gain. So in other words, sacrificially. Thirdly, they're to serve as examples to the congregation and to not use their place of leadership as a means of domineering. So in the same way, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 1. Be imitators of me as I follow Christ. It's not an arrogant statement of going, look at me, I got it all figured out, now just do what I do. Now he's saying, look at me, I'm desperately trying to follow after Christ, you do the same. He's not calling people to follow him. He's him, calling people to follow him as he follows Christ. Christ is meant to be the most important thing. And so our elders are called to show an example in their lives and in their speech that they love Christ more than anything. And as soon as an elder becomes domineering over somebody and uses that position of authority in any kind of a negative way, it's time for that elder to step down. And I've had to be part of those meetings, and those are not fun meetings. That doesn't mean that God can't restore, that God can't forgive. Not at all. And then there's a, verse 5, now there's a command to the congregation or to the church as a whole. Likewise, you who are younger, and so that, that doesn't just mean numerically, right? Like, so, so Clara here, like she's, she's nobody, nobody could ever question her. Maybe that's mostly true because Clara's got a lot of maturity in her and she's learned a lot of stuff. And if you just want a really good afternoon of just wisdom, just go hang out with Clara. But, but she, that doesn't mean that she is now above board. She, it's not that she can't be questioned on things. What it means is those who are under, and again, if you've come into membership of the church, recognize that nobody has forced you to do that. You've willingly said, I want to be part of this church and I will submit myself to the leadership of the church. So you've willingly come under the authority of the church, and now if the church comes to you, if the elders come to you, and you who are younger, it's just, it's, it's just an expression here, it's not trying to say age, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then this, clothe yourselves, all of you. So this is a command to both, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace the humble. Why, uh, why is the congregation called to submit to the elders? Well, it says it this way in Hebrews 13, 17. 
Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's simply saying this, is the leaders that have been appointed and affirmed in your congregation, so the elders of this church, their whole role is meant to be to bring you closer to Christ, and that's their desire. And yes, it's only me and Lee at this point in time, but I can tell you 100% that that is all Lee is concerned about, is that every single one in this church would grow in their Christ-likeness. And so he's saying, if, if that's what they're doing, and if they have to give an account, I shouldn't say if, they will have to give an account for that, then, then submit to them with joy, not with groaning, because it's not going to be of any advantage to you to put up a fight, because it's just going to be back and forth. Now that doesn't mean, again, that we're, you, you can't question us on things, or if you see something scriptural where you go, okay, you said this, or you acted in this way, or you taught this, but here's what scripture says. You are always always allowed to do that. In the same way where we read that we're to submit to the governing authorities that exist around us, that doesn't mean that we always have to agree. That means we have to treat everyone with respect and love and dignity and kindness. And so in the same way, you can disagree, uh, and you all know this, somebody can come up to you with grace and sincerity and disagree with you, you can have a good conversation about it. Somebody can come up to you and tell you all the reasons why you're wrong, usually doesn't have a very good conversation. Nobody really responds really well to, oh, you're stupid. It doesn't work that way. But if we go, you know what? Like, I see your heart, and I know that you care for me, but I wondered about this. Is, is this maybe closer to what the scriptures teach? And then the command to both of us, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Whether you're a leader or whether you are a follower, uh, all of us are guilty of having a lot of issues with our own pride. It can be, when you become a leader, you can start to become very arrogant for certain reasons, and sometimes when you're not a leader and you're having to follow, sometimes you can be filled with pride because you don't think you should have to submit to the leadership of that person. And so both parties will struggle with pride all through, and you see that all through Scripture, and, and you, don't even, you don't even need to read this. You just need to examine your own heart and realize it. Here's an example. Again, I said this at the evening service lots. I've got to stop giving examples for my own life because all it does is make me realize just how much I have to learn and grow. But this week, uh, so Smonga has, has learned to become quite proficient at chess. Um, you shouldn't lose to your eight-year-old son regularly. Let's just say it that way. And, uh, and for the most part, I have been able to win, and then, you know, you kind of like, <laughs> checkmate, sucker. So he's eight. Let's move on, Greg. Let's, let's be real. But now, he's starting to regularly put strategies into place that are, that are, my brain can't go that far. And all of a sudden, I'm losing more often than I'm winning. And I got angry last week. It's a very bad thing to admit. Is I... Seriously, covered my mouth and I was like, like, you know, like at home alone. Like it was brutal. Is, is this is why I've been equipping. This is why I've been preparing to help him grow, not to feed my own ego. And yet in that moment was, no, no, no. I play him so I can beat him and crush him and feel better about myself. That makes no sense. None. And yet we're all guilty of that kind of thing. 
is where we teach and we equip and we train and then all of a sudden they become mature and maybe they become a little bit more mature than us and then we have a response, are we going to act with pride and go, no, 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 you are not above the master. Or are we going to go, praise the Lord that God has gifted and equipped and matured you to the place that you're at. That's the role of an elder. The role of an elder and a pastor is to constantly be trying to work themselves out of a job because they've surrounded themselves with people that are so mature that they don't need you anymore. That's the role. That's the hope. So, let me say it this way. Specifically, I know I've talked to some of you here about this, and some aren't here that I've talked to. But if God has been pulling, putting a calling on you to help lead the people of Christ and to lead them with, sacrificially and with humility, if you feel that calling upon you, you can continue to disobey that or you can just say, okay, God, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. We need men to step up in this church to help with this elders team, and so I'm calling you to do that. But so that you don't think that this is all just about the elders, is we need people to step up in leadership in every single place. And I'm calling you to do that. Is on Friday nights, we need help. We have a hundred people in our community that we have opportunity to share Christ with, to share his love with, to feed, to, to just practically show them that we as the church of God care about our community. Even if you can help once every two months, that would be awesome. Is there's, of course, other ways to help. There's loads of opportunities to get involved. I'm just using that one because that one currently has the most need. But let me take it now beyond church into your own home. Is moms and dads, if you're not leading your kids spiritually, who's going to? You are called to love your children and to show them who Christ is, not to help them have an easier life or to get a better job or to get their homework done. Those are important things, but they're not as important as Christ. They're not as important as their eternal, their eternal salvation. You are not in control of their salvation, but you sure have a responsibility to show them who Christ is. If you're a young person here this morning, we talked about this in our young adult Bible study, is we're called to respect and to submit to our authorities, our parents, our leaders. We're called to see those who have been part of the church a long time and to look to them and to ask them for advice and for wisdom, to humble ourselves and to say, maybe I don't have this figured out. Would you come alongside? All of us, all of us are at play in here. It simply says it. Clothe yourselves, all of you. There's no out there. Not one of us is not being talked to. With humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Would we be people that the world would look at and they would go, the humility that's found within them doesn't make sense, not because we are capable of it, but because Christ is in us, because the Holy Spirit can help us in that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your scriptures, what you have said in them. And, and God, thank you for your desire uh, for what the church should look like. And God, we want to submit to that model that we see in scripture, that church is meant to be led by a plurality of elders who are sacrificially loving and trying to lead those under their care into a deeper relationship with Christ. 
So God, we pray that if there's a man or two in here that knows that you are calling of them, that, that they're being appointed by you for this role, would they be willing to come and to talk with us? God, for our congregation here this morning, would we work together for purpose and meaning, ultimately to declare the name of Jesus Christ to the world around us? We have such great opportunity to do that in this Bow Valley area where so many people are coming, literally coming into our building with need. May we respond the way that you have called us to. God, help us to submit to those in authority over us, and there's plenty of opportunities and plenty of areas in our life where there's people in authority over us. As it says in Hebrews, would we do that willingly? Because that will only help both sides in that. And above all, would we clothe ourselves with humility? Would we not seek to exalt ourselves, but would we seek to exalt you? God, you alone are worthy of our worship. And so we want to declare that you are like none other. God, we love you. What a privilege it is to be part of your church. Unite us together in purpose that we might declare Jesus Christ to the world around us. God, we love you. Amen. Just a reminder of but that is in there, and I can't ignore it, is those who teach, and that is not just uh, believers, and we just we are so excited every, every Sunday. We just have people from all over the world, different cultures, different languages, different backgrounds, and it's just exciting to see that God's church is not just here, but is a global thing. Uh, I just want to highlight something before we get going here. You can turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, and I just want to mention a couple of things as we're going. Uh, our new website is up and available, and I was going to walk you all through it here this morning, but for the sake of time, uh, we won't do that. But I just want to mention, if you see anything on that website where you're involved in a ministry and, and something is not worded quite right, that's 95% probably my fault, and that can be fixed really easy. So just feel free to email the church or phone me and let me know, and we can correct some of those things. Uh, it's really user-friendly, really easy, and a, just a last uh, thing as well is there's an online giving option, so you never have to ever spend money on checks again. Um, I don't know about you guys, but that's literally the only check that I would ever write is, is to the church. And so there's an option. Uh, you just click the online giving. You can pay with debit, with credit card, with pretty much every credit card that you have. Uh, you can set it to recur monthly, weekly, whatever you would like. So you never, ever have to remember. And then even after you die, we'll still collect your money. I'm just kidding. That's, was that too far? That was maybe too far. Um, but it's just a good option for you to see in that. As well, there's a, another thing that we've been able to do. Uh, Technology is a wonderful thing. If you go to the teaching section, uh, we now have a, an Apple podcast link to that. And so I know lots of you like to listen to podcasts. We have podcasts at home all the time, which is why Smong is so smart. He listens to all kinds of crazy stuff. But there's now a Banff Park Church one. You can look for that. You can download those things to your device so that when you go off on road trips or whatever, you always have that available. You can share that on social media, whatever you would like. We just want to make sure that the Word of God is proclaimed. So let's, uh, let's pray this morning as we begin because it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get heavy this morning. So let's pray. God, thanks for your Word. And God, as we read some 
very direct things and some, some very direct implications to all of us here this morning. God, we pray that you would give us your wisdom with how to understand these things. God, as I uh, teach to the best of my ability here this morning what, what I believe you're trying to share to us, would, would these not be my own words and my own thoughts? Would they be the scriptures? Would they be the words that you have spoken to us, which we know are fully of you? They're fully inerrant. They're fully authoritative. And that we can submit to you because you alone are good. So God, thank you for this, this time now. Amen. Last week I said to you that... Um, that this would be our last week through First Peter. And as the Sunday evening service kind of concluded, and I went home, uh, and I was just kind of looking at the next text again, just reminding myself, getting ready for what's coming, uh, I realized that this isn't the last week. We're, we're just going to do five verses here of chapter five, and the next week we're going to finish through. Uh, I didn't want to try and squeeze too much material, which I've been guilty of in the past 12 weeks or so. Um, we're going to try and keep it a little bit shorter, but that being said, is there's a direct, uh, and we're going to read it in here in a minute, but there's a direct, um, Peter's directly challenging the elders in these various churches that he is writing to, and I wanted to do the exact same thing here, but then I wanted to explain, uh, if you're new to the church, um, I want to explain to you how the church runs here, what our goal is, how we desire to honor God through uh, o- obeying what his design for the map or the blueprint of the church is going to be. And then also I want to challenge some people. Uh, When I candidated, so I've only been here uh, not quite 10 months now. And 10, is that right? 9, 10, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Less than a year. And when I candidated, there was a question that was asked to me is, is what would be the areas of focus for my ministry? And there were two things that I said at that meeting that I've slowly been, um, through one-on-one conversation, I've slowly been trying to develop this, is the first thing is we want to be a church that disciples people. That's my number one goal, is that if we are not discipling one another and each other and our community, then we misunderstand the gospel and we misunderstand the Great Commission. And so you're actually going to see at the end of January, I'm going to go through a four or five week, it might be eight week, I don't know, but four or five is my plan, uh, series through discipleship. And at the conclusion of that is we're going to unfold for you a new discipleship plan that our church is going to have that everyone, uh, let, let me say it this way, if you are uncomfortable with, with what we're going to present, there's no expectations for you. Rather, what we're trying to do is, as a church board, we want to encourage that everybody who calls Banff Park Church their home has an opportunity to be discipled and to disciple others. And so you're going to see that kind of unfold. The second thing that I said is that we wanted to develop a stronger and a healthier elders team. Is Lee, who was up here this morning, has been carrying, uh, a, I don't know how to say it nicely, a very unfair and big load upon him in the last number of years. And our, uh, my desire specifically in that meeting where we sat there was to develop, equip, and train some men who can stand up and can aid in the, the job and the role of the elder in our church. And so this morning, that's what this text is about. And so I'm going to take a kind of a, it seems like a major detour, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain the role of the church, the role of the elder, and then we're going to call, uh, hopefully, not publicly, but we're going to call some men in our church to step forward and to consider what this would look like uh, in, in the life of the church. Is 
you know the expression is many hands make work light or light work, and that's just the reality of it. Is if we can have a few extra guys to step on and to help in the spiritual direction, and I'll explain exactly what all that means this morning, but if we can do that, it'll only benefit the team, which will only benefit the church as a whole. And so that's kind of the goal this morning. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 to 5. And I'm going to bounce around a few different places this morning. You can feel free to turn with me. But if, uh, if, you, if you'd rather just kind of listen and not get distracted by turning pages, that's fine as well. So here's what it says. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So just these simple, short five verses, which you might might read and you look and you say, well, this isn't directed at me. This is directed to the elders of those churches, so so that's maybe not relevant in my life. But I want to show you how it actually is, is there's three commands given to elders, and then there's one command given to the church as a whole. And so we're going to get there in a few moments, but I also want to remind us a little bit of the context here. Translation matters, and uh, if you come to our young adult Bible study, I pick on uh, a few guys uh, who like the NASB, but the NASB actually gets this verse right. They're one of the only translations that really highlight this correctly. If you have something like the NIV or the NLT, and I'm not trying to throw those translations under the bus at all, all I'm trying to say is if you read those, make sure you find a more little translation like the uh, NASB or the ESV, um, because it seems to be in chapter 5, verse 1, that many translations ignore a very fundamental word at the beginning of that. NASB, pick on Phil. Phil, what does the first word say? Just a little bit. What does the first word say? Therefore. A lot of our translations are missing that. And there's reason why that's so important, because it sounds like if you have NIV, NLT, some of the other major translations, it sounds like it's a new thought a new section moving on to something brand new. And that is not true. And if we do that, we miss a big point of what's happening here. The ESV uses the word so, which it's kind of a transitional word, not quite as good. But what commentators are trying to say here is that by omitting this therefore, this so, we're omitting what it's tied back to, which is chapter 4, verse 17. And we looked at this last week. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And so simply put is, all through the Old Testament into the New Testament, there's this idea that judgment comes and it will begin with God's people first and then we'll go beyond that. And now in this section, what Peter's about to do and and challenge the elders to is he's saying, now elders, you realize that judgment is first coming to you and then to the church. This is huge that we understand this. James 